0: Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 2 to 10. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you, I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even If I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is God's word.
1: In verse five of the passage that was read, Paul who wrote this says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And I wonder how many of you can plug yourself into that sentence if you change the one variable about Macedonia, uh, but the idea of, of going somewhere a bit exhausted in finding that you're not getting rest. Feeling that around you there are tensions and conflicts and so there's anxiety in you. And so maybe for you it would be uh, this last winter we went to visit my family for Christmas and I had this list of 15 topics either I hoped that they wouldn't bring up or that I felt compelled I must bring up and there was fighting without and there was fear within. Or maybe you found yourself saying you know, you came to New York for school or for work and maybe you don't love the city but you're willing to be here and you go away on vacation. And some of you went went on vacation with kids and so you're coming back saying our body's got no rest. And then you get off the airplane and the aggressive driving reminds you that there's conflict without. And as you start to think about getting back into your routines not sufficiently rested, there's fear within. And and there's any number of reasons why we can be feeling these kinds of things. Uh, Maybe passively just reading the news or scrolling through social media. People are arguing about everything. That has different responses in each of us, but for some the response is fear, anxiety, the world is not right, there's a discomfort. And we typically don't like existing for long stretches in that reality. We tend not to, most of us don't thrive, where there's conflict around us. Where we're unsure and fearful. And so what do we do? Usually what we do is to to try to find some source of comfort within that. And it could be various. It could be something distracting. It could be an escape. It could be something that's providing a sense of warmth or security. Conflict is not good. Anxiety is not good. Comfort is good, but in extended periods in the reality of anxiety and conflict, uh, the desperation for comfort often doesn't serve us well. We, we reach for what's immediately comforting and find that over time, it's not having its effect. We're not being productive in terms of dealing with our issues and then we wind up addicted or overwhelmed. Christianity promises a form of comfort The problem is it's hard to access. If you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, pray. But when your mind is racing and your heart rate is up, to sit down and focus on God and feel his presence is hard. Reaching for something that you could eat, you could see, you could smell. It tastes good and there's a biological response. Your sugar levels are perked up a bit. It feels better than stopping and slowing your breath down and trying to pray. And so we find that the very comforts that that are promised to us, most of us are not connecting with them. And so we have spent last week and this week, simply uh, next next weekend we'll start the, the sermon series in John's Gospel that will take us into the spring. We're looking just for two weeks at this topic, just to have a a sort of a check-in. Are there ways that you could be um, exercising the kind of faith that's presented to us so that uh, God actually is a comfort for you, so that there's there's an actual strengthening that's coming to you? Um, Paul in verse four says, I am filled with comfort. Now he says that after some of his present concerns resolved, and so it's easier maybe Uh, being on the other side of the concern that he raises in chapter 7. But then he says, in all our affliction I am overflowing with joy. And that picture is helpful because it's not simply a superficial Christians are happy all the time, we always feel at peace. It's very clear that he goes through serious periods of distress. But there's something that he's saying even in the midst of affliction, joy is present. There's something about his knowledge of God, his experience of God's grace that's giving him the kind of strength that's not escapist, it's not simple, it's not uh, hopelessly naive and optimistic. It's actually preparing him for life in the world so that he can keep pressing on. So the situation now in this chapter seven is different from what we looked at last week. In chapter one, in verse eight, he says, when we went into Asia, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So we don't know exactly what he faced, but, but his description is quite severe. We were so overburdened beyond our strength. We didn't know what to do. We had no power to do it. And if you read Paul's biography, you realize his life was threatened at times. This wasn't, he's not prone to exaggeration in these things. So utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. So last week we talked about relying on God. Paul wound up in that season in his despair relying on God, having a a, a focused hope, and that one-on-one relationship of what only God can do. Uh, God sometimes meets us, not as quickly as we like to, but God met Paul in that. This week the situation is not as dire so now he's talking about coming into macedonia so he's coming out of that experience in asia he's traveling around because he's a missionary who's starting churches he finds himself so utterly overwhelmed there that he comes into macedonia and maybe his initial response is relief (laughs) isn't it so good that we won't have to face that and yet you know that sometimes after an experience like that you don't just need a week where you get to nap till 10 a.m have a few extra pieces of chocolate and then find you're back in the spring of things He came to Macedonia and he said, our bodies were not able to find rest. Uh, Maybe it wasn't as intense, but but things are still not good. We're still worried. And so um, this week, what I'm gonna highlight last week, one of the sources of strengthening in our despair when we feel utterly alone and powerless, relying on God's promise and presence is a means of moving forward. Our problem is we don't always feel that but we mature, we cultivate that. That's one of the goals. This week, what I wanna talk about is how God will often meet us through other people. And so, for those of you who who feel like the invisible, mystical aspect of Christianity is not something you're connecting with, uh, God will bring comfort to your life in various means, and that includes through people. So I'm gonna talk about two things today, and the first is that God sends people. So Paul finds himself comforted in this period. He's not able to get rest. Uh, There's conflict without, there's fear within. And through the community, he finds God has comforted him, strengthened him. I'm gonna come up with, I'm gonna give sort of two general stereotypes, Uh, not not as a whole true of any of us, but most of us will lean in, in one of these two directions, the humanistic Christian and the mystical Christian. The humanistic Christian uh, really likes uh, either people, or community, or action. And the sense there is the nature of the Christian life is largely ethical, action-oriented, maybe not experiential, it's experienced in terms of uh, your connection with people. Then there's the mystical Christian who wants to get away from it all and not talk and experience God on the mountaintop. Now there's something to each of those. And you may have an inclination towards one, but both are important. We need to be well-rounded. And there could be positive attributes in each of those, but some of us are the humanitarian Christians because there's some unhealthy fear of God, or a lack of feeling, fear, uh, feeling God as an experience, or uh, failure to really grasp the gospel in a way that if you just connect with people and you're encouraged and supported, that's enough. The mystical Christian, sometimes the opposite side, has had enough experiences with human beings to know that human beings are far less safe than God. And and human beings can be disappointing and therefore getting away from society and close to God can be very appealing. And the reality is both are necessary. We, We lean on God in a way that we can never depend on people, but God will work in our lives through ordinary means and that includes through people. And so, we can't depend on people and ignore God, but we can't ignore people uh, wanting to depend on God. So, in verse 6, Paul says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. That was a means by which Paul realized God was providing. So maybe, In chapter 1, it was, is Paul wrestling with prayer? I don't know, but there's some relying on God when we can't rely on each other. But here, Paul says, when God sent Titus to us, we were comforted. Now, when you go back and read 2 Corinthians, apparently Paul, when he comes out of Asia, goes into a place called Troas, and he's looking for Titus. So Titus, there, there's a New Testament book written to Titus. So Titus is a key figure, uh, sort of a younger disciple, a partner in ministry. Paul goes to Troas looking for him and can't find him. And you can imagine Paul wondering why he doesn't get a decent signal in Troas. And so he can't get a text through and he's, he can't find out if Timothy is, uh, or, or Titus is sort of, you know, uh, on Instagram. Here's me with the church at Corinth having a love feast. He has no access to that. And so he finds himself saying, I have no idea. I thought Titus would be here. Where is he? Well, here's what happened to me. I was shipwrecked. People tried to kill me. I thought Titus would be in Troas. I have no idea where he is. Uh, I thought I would find rest here. Maybe Titus is gone. Or maybe he is so overwhelmed that I won't connect with him. and, And Paul is needing this ministry partner. When Titus shows up as he goes into Macedonia, he sees the Lord's provision. I myself imagine Paul crying, oh Lord, not Titus 2. Uh, not, not Titus 1 and Titus 2, not Titus also. Um, we're seeing the, the, the church being assaulted here. Uh, this friend, this partner, it would be nice to have somebody I could count on. Uh, if he prayed that prayer, I imagine Titus arriving, there's natural means Titus would happen. Well, you know, there was a storm and so the boat landed there and there's all these natural explanations. Paul looks and says, when Titus came, I recognized the Lord had provided for me. He was comforted by it. God does that. God sometimes brings the comfort not simply through, yes, read the Bible and pray that God would speak to you. Uh, but God is sometimes at work providing through you through these other means uh, for you through these other means and then verse 7 says and so he's comforted in verse 6 by the coming of Titus verse 7 and not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you the Corinthians that he's writing to as he told us of your longing your mourning your zeal for me so that I rejoiced all the more so there's Titus who I really love And if you read first and second Corinthians, Paul loves the Corinthian church, but they seem to be a bit difficult. (laughs) So I imagine he probably wanted Titus more than he would have liked the Corinthian church, whether or not he would ever acknowledge that publicly. But Titus comes and says, but let me report to you what God was doing in the Corinthian church. And Paul is comforted because uh, if you read first and second Corinthians, they're an urban church. And they're trying to be a little bit sophisticated in how they uh, articulate their faith, and it's actually bringing division. Uh, To use a word from our passage, there's a worldliness in Corinth that has Paul concerned. You're looking for the better leader, the the more serious apostle, uh, whatever it is, and you're turning against one another, and you're not acting like truly changed people. So Paul is discouraged by this, so he writes what we call 1 Corinthians to them. Now he's writing what we call 2 Corinthians. But he refers here to a letter that he wrote. Some people think it was 1 Corinthians, but he he seems to have regretted sending the letter because he was concerned it would grieve them. 1 Corinthians is a little bit strong and edgy. Most scholars think there was some other letter that Paul sent that by God's providence is not given to us as scripture um, but he sends a letter, and, and as far as we can tell, he seems to have regretted it afterwards. Maybe it was a bit sharp. Maybe, maybe he looked at his heart and realized, I was a little bit frustrated, and I was a little bit too hard. And he's concerned that they would be grieved. And you know what it's like when you're a little bit angry or frustrated, and when you're hurt, there's something that feels promising about hurting somebody else. If I could, if I could poke at that person, it feels like it'll be relieving, and then it doesn't. You're only spreading your hurt. I don't know that that's what Paul was doing, but Paul is is experiencing grief and he writes to this church where there there are all these issues and and it sounds like from this passage after he sent it, he regrets it. But Titus comes with a report uh, because you can imagine Paul's mind, boy, how are they gonna, if they're not spiritual, if God's not really at work, I write this harsh letter and then they're just gonna write me off as mean, as a bad apostle and they're gonna go on their own way. And Titus comes back And he says, they received your letter and they don't hate you, (laughs) they love you. And they're encouraged by your ministry. And actually, instead of in their frustration, turning from God and saying, you know what, this Christianity thing is hypocritical and too hard, we're gonna walk away. They repented, they turned towards God. And so Paul is comforted to say, you know, I spent years there, I'm going around trying to plant these churches and I think I'm losing my partner and I think I'm losing the church. And then Titus shows up and Titus shows up and says in the Corinthian church, god is really still at work and so paul's comforted by god because of what god is doing in other people and you see paul's love and so in verse 9 he says i rejoice not because you were grieved paul he regretted that he thought he might grieve them i don't want to grieve you i rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting god did a spiritual work that even in whatever we dealt with god used it to bring you closer to him So verse three, he says, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Uh, Paul seems to have this sense that he really loves these people and and yet there's failings there and he's encouraged, he's comforted by the reality of the gospel. Look, God, even these worldly people with all of their confusions, with all of their struggles, with all their skepticisms about me, I'm trying to be faithful and and, and maybe I was out of line in what I wrote, hypothetically, But look, Lord, you are so kind, and it brings rest to his soul. And that's important for us to recognize that God will sometimes meet us immediately. There is a peace that passes understanding that sometimes comes upon our spirit. But we can go a long period of time without experiencing that, and sometimes we need to be watching for God's provision in other ways. You know, There's a joke I remember hearing when I was a kid. I'm not gonna tell it as a joke, because I don't find it that funny. Um, but I I don't know if it was really meant to be a parable or a joke, but a story about a guy who finds himself uh, in the middle of a river drowning, and he's he's, uh, floating down the river, and he's passing a bridge, and the people on the bridge throw a rope down, and they say, grab the rope as you come under, and his response is, I prayed that God would deliver me, so I'm gonna trust him. And then some people show up in a boat, and they say, come in, we'll rescue you, and he says, I prayed for God, I'm gonna wait for God's deliverance, and then I heard this joke somewhere around 1982, a helicopter, I don't know. That doesn't feel safe to me but whatever the case is there's a helicopter uh you know why don't we help you in some way and uh, the guy says i'm waiting for god and then he drowns sorry it's a bit of a tragedy so then he appears before god angry god where were you when i needed you most i cried out for help and i was alone and the answer is but i sent you a rope and a boat and a helicopter and so the idea being that here's a guy that that uh, had an expression of what he thought was faithful and he missed the work that God was doing. And that's what we need to be careful, that yes, God sometimes will meet us one-on-one and when he does, it is a great comfort. But God sometimes is meeting us through others around us and we we don't wanna fail to miss that. A number of years ago, after one of our services, there was a woman who was here who came forward to ask me for prayer. So she was a missionary serving in another country and she was a single woman and she needed a medical procedure and I don't know how it worked out but she came to New York because that's where she could get the best medical care afforded to her. So she was asking for prayer. She was anxious about what would happen this week. And so I prayed for her uh, and I don't remember exactly how it came about but uh, by the end of the conversation there was an agreement I would come and visit her in the hospital. So I knew the day that she would be having the surgery, and I showed up sometime after it. Uh, and I came into the room, and she was quite groggy, um, but quite glad to see me. And, and often what I do, I, you know, I want to be the minister of Jesus. How could I go in and, and bring healing and encouragement? And any of you that have been around me know that whatever fantasy I have, there's a certain awkwardness to me. So I walked into the room thinking that I would be this great encourager, and then... I didn't know what to say. I read her a Bible passage. I prayed for her. I did what I thought I could. But I didn't leave feeling like, you know, boy, did I just go and do ministry. Um, About two years later, I'm not sure exactly the timeline because this was long enough ago, she's back in the congregation on the summer. And she comes forward. She has a gift from me, a small gift from the country that she was serving. And she thanked me for visiting in the hospital. And what I remember, the phrase she used, she said, you were the presence of Christ to me. Um, and I really would like to be the presence of Christ, to have His power, His authority, His wisdom. But here's a woman who is basically saying, "You know, I'm in this city all alone, and I serve the Lord. And Jesus promised, if you leave your family and your friends and you leave your possessions, I will, I will supply all the more. And now I'm coming into a city of millions of people where I know someone. In a moment that I'm terrified, and I wake up, and and there's a brother, just a, a guy from a church. I didn't." I didn't have to say anything profound I think the fact that I showed up was enough in her case Uh, and it was an encouragement that that she wasn't saying boy you are one of the best pastors that I've ever met she was saying I needed the Lord's comfort and the Lord used you to comfort me as a side note as it turned out I was talking to her that day it winds up that that one of the key supporting churches for her is this church on the other side of the country where my wife's uncle and aunt go. Uh, really, this, there is this familial connection of this woman who wound up in New York. I don't know how she found our church, but God used us in that one moment in a time of need to answer prayer. And, and therefore, there is something about showing up, about being part of a community, about doing your best. And look, if you're like me, you don't, you don't wanna fail when, when somebody's struggling and so you show up and you don't quite know what to say and, and there are certain situations where there's really nothing you can do and so the temptation is then to, to do the safe thing. Uh, we really need to be more proactive of, of, of being generous on both sides. If somebody's coming to help me, let me assume it's awkward for them and give them grace. <laughs> but when you're going to help someone, just, just pray that God would use that because God comforts people often through people. Um, And so, let's be willing to to go as people filled with the Spirit. So, God sends people. Here's the next thing, which is that God sends His Son. So, God sends people. But the Christian story is is ultimately that God uh, does something remarkable for us by sending a particular person. You know, and it's interesting uh, in those two camps, the humanist and the mystical, the humanist really is excited about Jesus, the ethical teacher. But whether or not he's the Son of God may not be essential. But we miss out, but look at what God did on our behalf. But the temptation of the mystical person is to think of Jesus as a ghost. Why don't we see Jesus now? Well, you know, Jesus is God. He's, he's a spirit floating around somewhere. The theological answer, look at the Apostles' Creed other places, why don't we see Jesus? Well, Jesus physically rose in the body that he took on through the incarnation, but he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's not that Jesus can't be touched or seen. He's in one particular place, so we can't touch him and see him in that way, but he promises to pour out the Spirit so that there's a meaningful connection between us and that God-man, Jesus. What we find in the ministry of Jesus is a fulfillment of scripture where God ultimately is going to comfort his people and he will do it in a way that only God could do but through a comforting person, his own son who takes on flesh. Verse six says, in contrast to the world in which we live where, where we're exhausted, we're tired, there's arguing all around us, there's conflict, there's division, there's anxiety, there's fear. Verse six, the contrast, but God, who comforts the downcast. And so there's something different here. There's something about, yes, we have to rely on people, but people will disappoint us. People are imperfect. People mean their best, but just are limited. But God, who comforts the downcast. The word downcast in other places is translated as humble or lowly. There's a difference here in a world where we're in conflict because we're putting each other down Our own pride is at work to try to advance us or to wound others. And God is different. God is in contrast. God is a God who comforts the lowly. And what's remarkable about Jesus, remember if you read Jesus in Matthew 11, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly. That's the remarkable thing. The difference between God who comforts the weak is that he comes in weakness. Jesus comes not as the superstar with all of the answers, but he comes as the very presence and power of God in order to comfort. And how many times do the gospel say, and Jesus did this to fulfill what was written? And often it's in Isaiah. Those of you who are Handel's Messiah people, uh, you know that he used the text of Isaiah for a lot of, a lot of the, the text in that. Um, Isaiah 40, one of those great Christmassy texts. Uh, As a pivot, Isaiah 1 to 39 is this warning. God is going to do something, but if you don't listen, you're going to suffer for not listening. But Isaiah 40 is a turnaround. In Isaiah 41, uh, chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So Isaiah says the comfort of God is coming to to bring an end to this conflict and to bring an end to the sin. And then you read on through from chapter 40 through chapter 55, what we sometimes call the suffering servant cycle. How is God going to bring comfort? The announcement of comfort comes not that they learn a lesson in their exile, but that they will be invited back from their exile by Uh, the servant who will take on flesh. And so Isaiah 53 verse four, for example, anticipating the coming of Jesus, speaking of the servant, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so what we have in Christianity is not an apathetic God, but a God who comes to the lowly, to the humble, to the downcast, and he will lift us up. Uh, But he does so at great cost to himself. He, he comes by entering the hostility uh, and, and receiving it so that he bears our griefs, he bears our burdens as, as an act of love so that he could pardon our sin. And so why can't we just turn to God because we want God to be on our side? Well, we're rightly fearful of God. We, we know we're not good enough. Jesus becomes lowly so that the lowly who fear they're not good enough can know that by his invitation and by what he did on the cross, He can offer us forgiveness, so whoever you are, no matter how low you feel, the invitation to come to the gentle, to the lowly one, is invited, uh, you're invited to, so that you would receive the comfort of turning to the only one who really can give you that true and deep comfort. So in verse 10 it says, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret Whereas worldly grief produces death. And the issue here isn't necessarily the source of grief. So, godly grief, I failed to read the Bible. Worldly grief, here's what I was doing instead of reading the Bible. The the, the issue is how are you processing your grief? In your grief, are you saying, nobody would receive me, especially God, because God knows. And therefore, I'm going to go the way of the world. I'm just going to lash out at God or I'm going to shrink away and I'm going to hide. That's the nature of worldly grief, a grief that is so hopeless and disconnected from God that there's no solution, there's no comfort. Paul talks about a godly grief, a grief that says no matter whether or not you, you're grieved because of the injustice against you or if you're grieved because uh, you've done something unjust, both are turned are called to turn to God. And so... There is a a form of grief that keeps us from turning to God, but there's a godly grief, a a kind of trial and difficulty that says, uh, I can't not turn to God in this moment because that is my only source of comfort. And what happens is then we're turning through Christ where there's a a person that God has used, um, Jesus Christ, the man, to bring us to forgiveness of sins. And then we are drawn into a community where God is going to help Uh, to bring that comfort through that community. And that requires a certain maturing. One of the purposes of the church is to be a community that's encouraging us towards godliness. And so our griefs, our fears, our failings, whatever it is we're facing along with our Uh, successes in our celebrations. We need a community that gets together and says, but let's remember that the living God is at work. And what is God doing? And what is God saying? And how can we encourage one another in these things? And what that means is if we're doing that, we will find that sometimes God is working directly in the lives of our people, through our people. And so we need to deepen, we need to mature, we need to have our roots um, where it belongs. In gardening, there's, uh, there's this technique called deep watering. So if you have bushes outside and, you know, so how do you, how do you water your plants? Uh, it's, my understanding is this is more the outside when you're dealing with, you know, a feet, you know, number of feet worth of soil, whether it's potted or whether it's just in a field. Well, what makes sense to me and that actually works is every day you just add a little water. You just put a little bit of water because you know how soil is, if you put too much, it floods it, it'll drown the plants. So you just put a little bit of water every day and that works. But according to gardening theory, as I understand it, um, the roots then wind up being uh, extensive rather than deep. If there's just a little water on the surface every day, the roots will go out towards the surface. Whereas if the soil is rich and, and water, then, then the roots will go down. So the problem with watering every day, it's fine if you can water every day, but you've got that three-day holiday weekend and then you go away and it's a hot sunny day and because there's just a little bit of soil at the top, it dries out quickly, there's, the, the soil underneath it is dry enough, the fourth day that, that plant could already be withering and on its way out. So the better way is to, to think eight to 10 inches down with something like a bush, I think. Uh, how do you water so that the roots go down? So that way, if things at the top are drying out, uh, there's, there's a deeper source there. Now what's interesting staying with this analogy is you can't just then flood it with water. So the whole soil, there's a, there's a carefulness there. I think what many of us are doing with our present anxieties is we're looking for the quick comfort and it works. So just you know, keep looking at your phone, keep going online, keep yourself distracted and you'll be able to manage day-to-day anxiety but, but you're not growing in depth, you're, you're growing in shallowness. But what's going to happen when you face something a little bit bigger than your current circumstances and you don't have roots that are deep? You're not really being nourished. At some point, the things we're depending on are going to fail us. They're not sufficiently life-giving. Now, Paul is saying that there's a gospel depth that if you come to know the true God as he invites you to follow him in Jesus Christ, the roots of your life will go down and, and sometimes it's out of struggle. Sometimes you're feeling that things are dry and therefore you're going down because you're desperately grasping for more. But the end result of having deeper roots in healthy soil is you are stronger. And so sometimes in our spiritual uh, growth, there are seasons where we feel dry. It's not good. We don't want that. But we have to recognize sometimes in those seasons, God is trying to, to cause us to grow deeper and to look for a more thorough water source the spirit that is poured out so that there's a greater richness and health so that there will be actual life. And that's why Paul could be comforted even in these really hard circumstances. He doesn't say, I I prayed and God fixed everything. He says, I continued in much affliction, but I had joy and it was overflowing and I was genuinely comforted and God was working uh, to comfort uh, in people. So, So here's two things for us as a community. When we need comfort, Um, very often when we go through the harder things, we rightly assume people around us won't understand what we're going through. Not always the case, but, but often the case is the person who comes to help us doesn't understand. And that's where you're not choosing between God and people. God understands and God will comfort you. But sometimes God is offering one aspect of help through a person who maybe really can't understand and is maybe giving you quick pat answers, but, but brought you that meal and is praying for you. And you can recognize this person is not the solution to all of my troubles, but God, as I'm praying for comfort, you brought this imperfect person um, who can't help me with everything, but is here to help me. And so to be grateful for an installment of God's provision. And then let me say on the other side, um, None of us are God. We don't know, we're not perfect. And when people are suffering, there's a lot we could learn about all the dumb things to avoid saying and to try to navigate it in ways that that doesn't unnecessarily bring harm. But the reality is none of us can fix the deep problems that others are going through, which doesn't mean it's futile to show up. Uh, We pray, we show up, we try to follow and imitate Christ. And what we find is that You know, in our imperfection, God will use us. He doesn't just need one of us, he needs a whole community of us, so let's do this. In this church, there are some people that will bring the meal, some people that will pray, some people that are able to lead the comforting conversation, one or two other people that did go through that thing that you didn't know about that will connect you through. Within an imperfect community, God will use us. And then the idea is if we're experiencing that gospel comfort, you go to the workplace, you go back to your neighbors, and maybe people don't want to hear, they feel like it's pushy religion, but it's not. It's something deep to say, well, uh, how do I carefully articulate this? But I'm, I'm gonna show up, <laughs> I'm gonna be a neighbor, I'm gonna be a friend and I'm gonna be a prayerful person knowing that actually in the mystery of what God's doing, God may bring his comfort uh, through my presence in this place. And, and that lifestyle, the deepening lifestyle is what prepares us for uh, life in a world that doesn't always go well where we if we deepen we can have joy and we can have comfort so let's do that let me pray for us our father as we seek to grow each of us are in different places i i I pray for any here who uh, may have so little understanding of christianity that um that they don't know what's next but i i pray that you would bring what's next into their lives so that they would experience that grace and power and comfort. Lord, some of us have been Christians so long that we've gotten cynical. Things are not working out as we had hoped, and yet, Lord, uh, the promises are still true. Help those of us in that place to to see with new eyes uh, your offer of provision. I pray for all of us who really want to be friends, neighbors, and um, are a bit shy, feel a bit unprepared, uh, grant us those deep roots that rooted in you, uh, we know that if we show up um, with gentleness and lowliness, that you will use us, and so use us in the church, use us in the workplace, use us at school, use us with our families. Uh, we pray that our presence here in this, in this neighborhood would, would be transformative for our city in some way. So do that work we pray in Jesus' name, amen.